We are taking a break on our series of Joseph's life to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter Sunday is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it, and it is important on this day to go back to the basics, to go back to what we believe. When we talk about the book of James and the life of Joseph, we talk about various things. I mean, my sermons are an hour crying out loud, so we talk about a lot of different things. But it is important on this Easter Sunday to go back to the foundation of our faith, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is a spirit in which Paul is writing this chapter to the, not, I don't think, yeah, I'm sorry, the original letters don't, are, not, are not divided into chapters. So it is that mode in which Paul writes this portion of the letter to the Corinthians. As you recall, because we were in 1 Corinthians for two years. Remember that? Those were good times, weren't they? Corinthians, Paul dealt with a lot of different issues when he was preaching out of Corinthians, when he was, when he was writing a letter to Corinthians. Does anyone remember what some of the things that he talked about? Please remember. No? Two years down the drain? No? You make me sad, man. All right. Come on. One of the things that he dealt with was, you know, um, division in the church. Remember? The church was divided between some people say, I follow Paul. Other people say, I followed who? Cephas, and the other people say, I follow Apollo. So there was a division in the church. Paul deals with that. Paul still deals with immorality in the church. There was a dude in that church that did something bad, bad, bad. Right? He slept with his mother-in-law. It was really bad. Paul deals with that. Paul deals with food sacrifice to idols. Paul deals with marriage. Paul deals with spiritual gifts. Paul deals with, you know, um, divorce. Paul deals with Love, Paul deals with a lot of issues. But at the latter part of his letter, he brings them all back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many issues are dealt with, but he concludes his letter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I think even though he he instructs on a lot of different issues. The power in which the Corinthians need to execute, to apply these different teachings, the power in which to live the Christian life, it comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that later, but Paul says in verse 2, is it verse 2? Yeah. Paul says the gospel is the power of God that will help you live in accordance to the Christian life. We'll talk about verse 2 a little bit later. The gospel is the thing that gives them hope to live the Christian life. The gospel is their worldview, Paul says. So, just as it is important for the Corinthians to be reminded of the gospel in order for them to live the Christian life, likewise, we need to be reminded of the gospel so that we can live the Christian life. Yeah? Let's talk about the gospel. 
gospel is, you know, I'm a lawyer, right? And lawyers deal with definitions, right? So, like, the reason why, little secret, congressional laws are very long and confusing is because lawyers purposely make it confusing so that anyone can interpret the way they want it to, right? We're really great, great at that. We're great at, like, writing confusing languages. And that's fine and good for our job, but the problem with confusing languages the problem of not defining certain terms precisely is that people, get, people can have a different idea of what the term means. Similar, that's the similar problem with the definition called the gospel. If I were to ask you, what is the gospel? I hope and pray you can tell me. But unfortunately, not you, because you're all well-educated, because I'm your pastor, Right? But a lot of the Christians out there, they, don't, they can't define what the gospel is. If the gospel is the power unto salvation, as Paul said, and if gospel is the very power source in which you need to live your Christian life, then you need to know what it is, right? A lot of Christians, if I ask them about the gospel, they'll say, oh, Jesus Christ died for me because of my sin. Yeah, good. But it's much more complex than that. God bless you. So in this Easter Sunday, let us properly define what the gospel is. Right? And to see whether we truly believe in the gospel that we purport to believe in. Right? Today's sermon is Christianity 101. What is the gospel? Gospel doesn't start with Jesus Christ dying for me on the cross. That's not the starting point. The starting point of the gospel, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there's God. Like all things, God is the starting point of all things. God exists. That's the starting point. God is a living, sentient being who created all things in accordance to his purposes and decrees. He's the one who holds everything together. In the beginning, before the beginning, there was God. Do you believe this? He created all things. He controls all things. He manages all things. He maintains all things. He directs all things. He controls all things. Everything will be completed in accordance to his great grand plan. He created the laws of the universe. He, he created the fabric of existence. Whether it's the laws of physics, whether it's the laws of logic, whether it's the spiritual laws that govern your heart, whatever law is, he, he, he created the world in accordance to laws. He didn't create the world randomly. He created the world with inexhaustible, exquisite, precise laws. One of the things that Job discovers about God is how precisely he designed all things. What is he designed man in accordance to his purpose? What is man's design? Man's design, we are designed to look at God, to worship him, 
to fellowship with him in worship, in worship, to thank him. It is to live our lives in accordance to the way he designed reality to be. What is man? God created man in his image so that we will worship him, recognize him, worship him, thank, thank him, and live in conformity to the reality that he designed us to live. You understand? That's the starting point of the gospel. Andrew Claven is a conservative commentator, right? One of my favorite commentators that I listen to. Conservative, right? He was raised Jewish. He converted to Christianity when he was 59 years old. How did Andrew Claven, who was raised Jewish, whose father threatened to disown him, because he discovered Andrew Claven reading the Gospel of John when he was 15. How did a man like that turn into Christianity? There, there, there are episodes in his, in his life. And one of the earliest episodes that God used to convert him was when he was around, I don't know, 30s or something. Andrew Claven was married. He was, a, he was a script writer in Hollywood. He was making a lot of money. He married someone that he adored. Lucky guy. He had two kids that he adored. His life was going great, but he wanted to kill himself. It's weird. Busy people don't want, don't want to kill themselves. It's the one who's rich and who has all the time and money in the world. They're the ones who want to kill themselves. It's really weird. Anyway, one evening, in the middle of in, in his apartment, well-furnished apartment, he wanted to kill himself. He, he was really going to do it. He was going to go up to the roof of his building and jump off. He was going to do it. He heard a baseball game. And he heard an interviewer interview a Christian ball player. And the Christian ball player, and the interviewer asked the Christian ball player, you, you're injured, but you played your best and you scored today. How did you do that? And the Christian ball player says, Sometimes you got to play with the pain. That statement, sometimes you got to play with the pain. That, like, ding in him. <gasps> That's right. I'm in pain right now, but that doesn't mean life is over. I can live with the pain. And he recognized it was God who sent the Christian ball player to be interviewed precisely at that moment when he wanted to kill himself. Very dramatic. But that's, that's not what changes Christianity, what converted him to Christianity. One of the second episodes that converted to Christianity is this. He was reading a book, a novel. And there was a character in the novel that he liked. And, the character, and that character in the novel, it says, offered a short prayer before the Lord. So he goes, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that tonight. Right before I go to sleep, I'm going to say, thank you, God. Three words. He says, thank you, God. Right? He said it. Right before he goes to sleep, he says, thank you, God, and he fell asleep. He got up, and he says, from the moment that he got up, he says, life looked different. The night before, he finally recognized God to be true. Because he did it the night before, he says, I, my eyes began to open. I started to see things more clearly, he says. 
My wife looked different. The city that I lived looked different. My children looked different. My writing looked different. Everything in my life looked different simply because the night before I acknowledged that there is a God. And this is what he said. He said, I wanted to kill myself because I didn't know how to live. But discovering God that night made me realize God is a source of life. Just by simply recognizing that God is a source of life, everything about me changed. That's an episode, example of what we're created to be. God is not this empty religion full of ideas and theology that just demands compliance. He is the living person. And when you're connected to the living person, you will live and I will live. Because that's how God designed our spirits to be. Amen? That's how we are created, young people. And yet, we sin. And yet, we rebel before the Lord. What is rebellion? What is Adam's rebellion about? Adam's rebellion is about not recognizing God to be God. Not recognizing the way God designed reality to be. Thinking that we get to decide what reality is. That's rebellion in a nutshell. God is a source of life. He designed reality to be a certain way. But we're saying, God's not God. He's not the source of life. I deny the reality that he created. I'm going to go my own way. We cut God out of our lives. That's the reality of sin. And as a result of that rebellion, sin and death entered the world. Every human being, because of, the, because of the fact that we don't recognize God to be God, and because we don't recognize his design for reality, and we don't recognize his design for us, we suffer and we die. We're in pain. Look, they say the sadness rate, if you can measure it, of, of, of in, in teenage girls is skyrocketing. Kids, girl, teenage girls from 11 to 18, their depression rate is skyrocketing these days. Why, that, why is it skyrocketing? A couple of reasons. Social media, right? Their, their friends are super judgy. They don't have connection with their friends because of COVID. Right? The parents are demanding academic excellence. Right? But at the fundamental core of the depression is these young women don't know what life is. They don't know who they are. They don't know what life is about. They look to social media, and all sorts of media gives them is criticism. They look to their parents, and all the parents give them, especially your Asian, all your parents give them is criticism. Right? You look at they look at their bodies and they're, un- they're developing and they don't know who they are. They're just confused and no one is telling them who they are. Their struggle, in a nutshell, is a struggle of humanity. We have no idea who we are because we said God is not who we say he, who he is. Once we do not recognize God God is who we say he is and not recognizing his law then it's the Humpty Dumpty syndrome remember the Humpty Dumpty syndrome that I was in, in last year 
Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And Humpty Dumpty was scattered all over the place. And none of the king's men could put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Very depressing. But an appropriate description of sin. What, is, what does sin do? It destroys the fact, it fragments reality. It destroys our understanding of who we are. It destroys our understanding of the world. It destroys our relationship. Sin has a way of just fragmenting, destroying, tearing apart these things that God designed to be. We're living in that world, people. Because we're born into it. Because we're born into it, we just think that's the way it is. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It, it is the way it is because of our rebellion. But God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who came into the world to redeem the people of the, from their sins and death. Jesus Christ came into the world to do two things. To live the life that we can't live and to die the death that we can't die. Jesus Christ, the man Christ, obeyed the laws of God perfectly. And when we are united with him, his record becomes our record. When we're united in Christ, the record of Jesus Christ becomes our record. And therefore, in Christ, when God looks at us, we're righteous. Not only that, Jesus Christ not only lived the life that we should have lived, he died the death that we should have died. What is the punishment for us who fragments and destroys the fabric of reality that God designed? It is death. But rather than us dying, on us being condemned to die, it is Christ himself who died. Because he lived the life that we should live, and because he died the death we should have died, he, God, when we're united with him, we are made righteous. And when we are made righteous, the eyes that were blind to God becomes open, and God becomes a reality again. We get to see God again. We get to experience God again. We get to see reality for what it is again. We get to be whole again. Do you understand? I'm still talking about the gospel, y'all. And what is the destiny of those who belong in Christ? Just as Christ was physically raised from the dead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our future destiny is just as Christ is raised from the dead, we too will be raised with glorified bodies. The bodies that we have when we fall asleep will be buried. But when Christ returns, we will be raised up with new bodies. And as new bodies for those of us in Christ will inherit the kingdom of, the kingdom of God. The new heavens and the new earth. So for those who are in Christ, our destiny is a glorified body ruling with Christ in the new kingdom of earth. Kingdom of God. That's the gospel. In a nutshell. Do you understand? That took longer than I thought it would. It's more than Jesus dying for you on the cross. The gospel is about why he needed to. And by doing so, what you get. Do you understand? Paul says... 
This is the gospel that I preach to you, Corinthians. And this is the gospel that you received. The word received here means welcomed as truth. Corinthians were pagans. They were they were the first generation Christians. There wasn't Christianity before Paul, right? Before Jesus. These guys were the first generation Christians. They are not Jewish. They're not familiar with the Old Testament. These were temple-worshiping pagans. When Paul preached the gospel to them, they received the gospel as truth. They recognized it as true. What I'm afraid of, embrace. I'm afraid of people who went to church all their lives and who have not yet received the gospel as truth. It is one thing to grow up with it. It is one thing to be constantly weakly exposed to it. But it's another thing to actually embrace it as truth. I know most of you were raised in a church. Have you received the gospel? I'm not talking about raising your hand with you when your Sunday school teacher asks you whether who wants to accept Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about raising your hand at a Christian retreat. Who wants to go to missions? I do. I'm not talking about that. Maybe these experiences have their proper place. I'm talking about. Have you meditated, thought about, pondered? the truth of the gospel. Have you received the gospel, young people? Corinthians, as messed up as they were, their life changed because they received, they welcomed the gospel as truth. They not only received the gospel, Paul says in verse 1, Paul says, they stood, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1. They not only received it, but they also stood by it. The word stand here means serve as a foundation. The word stand here means foundation of how how they see everything in life, how they interpret everything in life. They interpret everything in life through the lens of the narrative of the gospel. They not only received it, they interpret everything in their lives in the light of the gospel. Look, last week, I did a little experiment. I spent a week listening to the most progressive YouTubers out there. I listened to one guy who's a flat-out communist. He says, I mean, his... Like what his internet T-shirt is—he makes himself design like Karl Marx. He's a flagrant, not racist, like a Marxist, a communist. 
the most socially woke, progressive young people out there. I listened to their YouTube channel for a week. Was it pleasant? Yeah, kind of. It was kind of fun. What I, what I, and I, then I watched Fox News at night. It was very interesting. What I noticed about these two different political camps, progressives and liberals, conservatives and liberals, is that they have certain narrative that they view the world. It's like maybe five or six points. They have, they view the world through five or six points. And they try to cram everything into these five or six points. I'll give you an example. The progressive, woke, you know, YouTubers out there, I want to be kind to them, right? So their basic assumption is human, be human beings are special, right? Human beings are, because human beings are so special, we, we shouldn't hurt human beings or judge human beings. We should value human beings' life. And we should fight everything that we, we, should, they should especially, we should especially protect the people in society who are marginalized, like, you know, LGBTQ and, you know, like certain minorities. And we should fight any system that tries to hurt people, especially minorities. Good, right? I go, yeah. That's godly. They say, what destroys people's lives are white people, white men, right? Okay, sorry, there's no enemies here, I don't think. Capitalism. White men and capitalism are hurting people. So they should, we should get rid of white men and capitalism. That's pretty much their worldview in a nutshell. Conservatives believe the number one most important thing is individual liberty, freedom. Human beings advance when people's freedoms are protected and preserved. Capitalism, did, no, no other political system like capitalism brought people out of poverty. When people are free to pursue their own enterprise, everyone is lifted up, right? Everyone's wealthier, it's good. So we should protect people's freedoms. Who is the number one enemy against people's freedoms? The liberals. We should fight against the liberals, they say. These two camps have a very simplistic worldview, and they try to cramp everything to the narrative of their simplistic worldview. One progressive YouTuber says, what is the cause of inflation? You know, gas prices are crazy. What's the cause of inflation? Not Putin. The cause of inflation is racism. I go, what? Okay. And they're really serious about it. And I was listening to another conservative YouTuber. What's the cause of inflation? You know what the cause of inflation is, they say? Transgenderism. I go, what? Preposterous. But they say these wacky things, both camps. 
Because they stand by their narrative of the worldview. And they interpret everything through the lens of their worldview. They stand on their worldview. Do you understand? That's a negative example of what Paul's talking about what the Corinthians are doing. Corinthians, Paul says. You're standing, the, the Corinthians not only receive the gospel as true, they're standing on the worldview of the gospel. They interpret everything in the light of the gospel in terms of food lifting up to idols, in terms of spiritual gifts, in terms of all things. Even though they're messed up in a lot of ways, they strive to interpret all things through the worldview of the gospel. That's what a Christian does, you know. The Christian interprets everything through the lens of the gospel. Do you understand? Do you do that? It's how you interpret your wife through the lens of the gospel. It's how you interpret your work through the lens of the gospel. When people wrong you, do you interpret it through the lens of the gospel? When you fail miserably... When you get dragged into HR twice like me, do you interpret that event through the lens of the, Don't get dragged to HR. It's not pleasant, right? Do you interpret it through the lens of the gospel? Do you stand on the gospel? This is a part of the sermon, I'm going to warn you, that can get a little bit offensive. You ready? I warned you. If you're angry at me, just email Pastor Wujin, right? He's, he's my PR agent, right? Ready for this, kids? Here we go. Nervous. There are many self-professing Christians who do not stand on the worldview of the gospel. I'll give you an example. One of the YouTubers that I follow, well, not YouTubers, podcasts that I follow. Man, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Podcasts that I follow. Pastors Talk, Jonathan Lehman. There's a podcast for pastors. I love that podcast. Jonathan Lehman is one of the hosts. He's a pastor. And he told the story about a Christian that he counseled a few years ago. The Christian that he counseled a few years ago believed in the prosperity gospel. Right? Name and acclaim it. God wants your best life now. Right? What was frustrating about counseling this guy was this guy, on its face, believed everything that is orthodox about Christianity. He believed everything that I told you about the gospel. God sent Jesus. He said he believed. But what he actually stood on what actually defined his relationship with God, despite what he said he believed, was he still stood on the notion that God wants to be, for him to be happy and successful in the world. On its face, he purported to believe the gospel, but, he, but in his relationship with God, he stood on the notion 
that God wants them successful and happy in this world. And Jonathan Lehman says, after many conversations with him, he realized that guy was not a Christian. Because despite what he professed his faith to be, what he stood on was not the gospel. There are many people like him who purport to believe the gospel. But they don't stand on the gospel. Jonathan Lehman says, prosperity gospel is not only for those people, right, who follow preachers who say, God wants me to have a G5, right? This is what the prosperity gospel believes. People who believe in the prosperity gospel believe that God does not want you to suffer in this world. People believe prosperity gospel believe God doesn't want you to suffer. That God wants you to be successful. Not super rich, not G5 super rich. But God wants you to be successful in that. He wants you to have a nice job. Really great kids. Not suffer any health. Like not, 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 not have any health health issues. Trouble-free life. God doesn't want you to suffer. God wants you to be happy in this world. A lot of Christians stand on that version of God rather than the gospel. Like we talked about Joseph last week. Sometimes God leads you to miserable places, let's be honest. He takes you to the last place that you want to be. Oh, he did that to me. Sometimes, like the, like the Christians that James was writing to, he puts you in a place where there is no relief in this world. Sometimes God takes away your prosperous career. God takes away your finely manicured house. Sometimes God takes away your health. Sometimes your business will go under, you'll be fired. The girl will say no to you. If that is not your definition, if, that's, if you think that God doesn't do that, that's not the God that you worship, then I'm really sorry. Maybe you're standing on the prosperity gospel and not on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you offended? Not, I don't mean to. Are you standing on the gospel? Look, three years ago, I experienced a miracle. And the miracle was I heard Joel Austin preach the gospel. I was driving my car. I was listening to Joel Austin channel. I don't know why I did that, but I did. And he preached the gospel on Sunday, Sunday Easter, Easter Sunday. I go, praise God for Joel Austin. 
He did it really well. I was tearing up because Joe Austin was doing a really good job preaching the gospel. But that was one sermon three years ago. Most of his sermon is about God wants you to be happy. God doesn't want you to suffer. God is for you in this life so that you will be successful in the world. Which God are you standing on here? The gospel? Or prosperity gospel? There are many different forms of this. Right now, what is dividing the Christian Christianity, Christian church right now, is this emphasis on social justice. Ever since George Floyd, there's an emphasis on social gospel. Right? The churches say we should fight injustice, racism. Yet, yeah, fine, I'm, I'm with you. God has clearly called us to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves, fight for those who do not have a voice. That is clearly God's call. But the problem is, there are a lot of churches who think that's the mission of the church. They're not standing on the gospel. They're standing on some social philosophy made by man. What Satan does is he doesn't want you to stand in accordance to the truth. He wants you to base your Christianity on superficial, shallow things. The problem of standing on a version of Christianity that is not the gospel is that the faith, the false faith that you're standing on has no power to do anything. The reason why I'm against churches who only preach social gospel is not I'm against racism or anything like that. The churches who emphasize this, I think ultimately they're powerless. What they preach is cannot convert anyone. Paul says in verse 2, the gospel is a thing by which you are being saved. He's using the present, what's the present continuous tense? Present tense. What is ing? Present continuous? I don't know grammar. I'm, English is my second language. He's saying the gospel is not only what, you, what saves you, the gospel is what is continuing to save you. What he means by the, what he means is this. Gospel is not only when you believe the gospel, God makes you righteous once and for all, and that's true. But the gospel has a power to keep on energizing you so that you can overcome your sin. That's what, what Paul means when he says the gospel, you are being saved by the gospel. The gospel is continually energizing you so that you can overcome your sins. And it is only the gospel that can do that. Prosperity gospel cannot do that for you. Social justice gospel cannot do that for you. Pentecostalism cannot do that for you. Only the true gospel that you stand on can change that for you. And I give an example. Look, last week, it was a fun, I started the week just fine. Remember last week? 
Most of you weren't here. I don't know, wherever, maybe you were during spring break. But Joe and Heather got married, right? And Joe's family was there. Heather's family was there. We had more guests than the actual attendees, right? We had a little revival. And oh boy, I preached and I, and I saw Joe, like Heather's grandma and mother tear up. I go, yes. Got them. Joe's father came to me and said, I really thank you for taking care of my son. My son has changed and grown so much because of you. I didn't go, yeah, I'm the man. I didn't say that. I said, praise God, because God worked through me to change Joe's life. It was fantastic. Joe's wedding, all the weddings that I do are special. They're all special. But Joe's wedding and Heather's wedding was really beautiful. Because I walked with them through their courtship, and I can feel the presence of God. It was a great I felt God present in the wedding. It was great. I felt so good. I felt God being alive. I felt being used by God. That was great. But Wednesday rolled around. I'm sorry, Thursday rolled around. What happened on Thursday? I got up, went downstairs. Usually my wife makes me breakfast. She left a little note saying, go to the, I went to the dentist. And I go, where's my food? It wasn't there. Oh, Dr. J said, yeah. I worked until 2 a.m. the night before. So I had to cook lamian. I love lamian. But one needs protein, right, to work. As I was cooking that lamian, I heard a voice in my head. No one cares about you. I go, what? You give yourself to so many people. Yeah? But who's giving yourself, who's giving themselves to you, PJ? I go, yeah. What about me? That voice became louder and louder and louder. And, and on Thursday, I was in I was in state of madness. Self-pity. By the way, that's what, ladies, that's what midlife crisis is. What about me? I give myself, but what about me? I feel used. I don't feel appreciated. Ladies, really take care of your man, please. Right? I was so bitter. And if it was me a few days ago, I felt the presence of God a few days ago. And after, I'm in madness. What got me out of madness? Friday morning. Praying. Because I had to, because I was praying for this message. You know what I mean? Oh. And I heard the Lord say, 
while you were a sinner, I died for you. No one appreciated Christ when he died for them. No one, no one gave him an applause when he died for them. He died for the thankless. He gave himself to the people who never, who never appreciated him. And I heard Christ says, aren't you not participating in my suffering? I go, yeah. Me being not appreciated as stinky as that is. I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ. That got me out of my madness. The gospel got me out of my madness. It's like Tylenol or my favorite cold medicine, NyQuil. You take it and the fever is gone, yo. The gospel did that to me. I see the gospel changing the nature of people in the church. I had sisters, a couple of sisters told me by their nature, they're not really outgoing people. But God has changed them so that they become more outgoing and more reaching out to the people in the church. They don't know how it happened. It's totally against their nature to do so, but they're doing it. I say it's because the gospel is influencing them. The gospel is the power onto salvation. It is a power that continuously changes you. You need to stand on it because that's the only power. There's no other power. Not therapy, not psychology, not like, you know, Porsches and young girlfriends, not anything. The gospel alone can make you overcome your sin. That is why it is imperative that you must have a worldview based on the gospel. Because that's the only power that you need to change you. Where are you standing on? Are you standing on the gospel? Or are you standing on some bizarre notion of God? Stand on the gospel. Look, I have four more pages to preach, but I can't because I, time is up. Have you received the gospel this morning? Are you standing on the gospel this morning? If not, ask God's grace to reveal and persuade the gospel to you. How is the gospel revealed and persuaded? This is what we're going to briefly talk about. It's primarily through the scriptures. The gospel revealed, you got the, you were were able to receive the gospel and stand the gospel when the, when it is when the scripture reveals Christ to you. That's what Paul says in the next verses. Christ is revealed in accordance to scripture. The main reason for the Bible is to reveal Christ and the gospel to you. 
That's why you've got to be in it, because to be in it means you're in the gospel. Look, back to Andrew Clavin. How did Andrew Clavin finally become a Christian? Not as miraculous as that radio incident was, as miraculous as that I thank God incident was, what finally made him convert. He says, he says, I started to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as the truth. Before he read it as literature, but he now read it as truth. Reading as truth, he says, opened his eyes to the reality of Jesus Christ. How do you receive the gospel and stand in it? Through the scriptures, y'all. I hope that you do this. Because if you you don't do this, Paul says, your faith is in vain. Your faith is useless. Your faith is no good. I pray that your faith is not useless. I pray that your faith is powerful in that as you receive and stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray.